Hello and welcome to the Room of Lives. In this part of my conversation with Jackie, we will discuss both our personal as well as wider social perceptions of death. We will try to describe our gut feelings surrounding death and the dissolution of identity, speculate where they come from, discuss near-death experiences, and how psychedelic experiences affect the anxiety of death. If you enjoy visiting the Room of Lives, consider supporting me by donating dye or ether to abranil.eth. That's A-B-H-R-A-N-I-L dot E-T-H. Death and near-death experiences. <laughs> I know you would pick that one. How did you know? <laughs> well, you've always been like the most curious or last time we had this very little or a very brief conversation about death, but we didn't really get to talk deeply hmm. about what death means. But you've showed a curiosity towards like my understanding of death and how I interpret death. Yeah. Yeah. So I remember... I guess just to start off this conversation, there was this brief chat we had and um, let me try and recount the things that you said that I found very interesting. You talked about Guangzhou, who, is that how you say that? (laughs) I don't know. You mean Zhuangzi. Zhuangzi. Yes. It's G-U-A-N-G. It's Z-H. Oh, Z-H. Zhuangzi. Zhuangzi was this like ancient Chinese philosopher. Yes. And you said that his wife died and he was celebrating and dancing. Yes. After his wife's death. And so that was his attitude towards death. And we had this brief chat where you said, you wonder what society would be like if there was a sense of, if there was a more of a positive sentiment associated with how we view death. Right. I wonder like what the society would be like if um, we don't socially construct death as a, you know, dark or scary concept that everybody is going to face at yeah. one point of their life. Like what if we just describe death as a cheerful, <laughs> you know, joyful or like, at least interesting experience. I feel like a lot of the times how people phrase death or how the media or society phrase death right now is still in a much more negative way. Yeah. Yeah. How do you personally feel about the notion of your own death? I actually don't think too much Mm. about the possibility of me being dead. Mm. Yeah. And I don't, I don't feel very, um, scared or you know obviously I don't feel like it's gonna be a terrible thing if one day I die um, I would I would say it's probably just like migrating to another space migrating to another space so, yes. but that's also another space where you will have conscious experiences I can't say for sure whether that's true but I hope it's true hmm. yeah Okay. Yeah. What gives you this sense that it may not be just the end of everything and could be a... What gives you the sense that death would be the end of everything? Mm. That's a really really good comeback. (laughs) Uh, Nothing gives me that sense, (laughs) except from what people tell me. Right, Uh, exactly. So, I grew up with actually... A big like anxiety about yeah. death. Right, you told I me about that before. Really scared of death, mm-hmm. and like my relationship with death has definitely changed. I would say improved a lot. I don't feel so scared of my own death anymore. In part because I don't believe it will happen in the way that people think of death normally in a secular scientific society. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's more to talk about that. Um, 
Maria, what, what is it that you envision in this kind of more improved society? How do you think we, we could relate better with death? Um, well, oftentimes I think the reason why people phrase death as this like scary concept is because people have a very natural um, fear of things they don't know. Mm. And death is something obviously we don't know much about because you know once you come to you once you come down that path there's no like returning back or like there's no way you could communicate to people who are still alive and tell them what it feels like to be dead. Yeah. So a lot of times it's much more just a general fear towards things we don't know. Mm. A better society or a better constructed concept of death that I envision would be just being curious and being honest mm. to things that we don't know. For example, death. You know, by acknowledging that we don't know what's going to happen after we die. We're curious about what's going to happen after we die. But we don't necessarily fear the concept of death anymore. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> I, I agree that part of the fear associated with death has to do with the fear of unknown that we have. But for me, part of that fear was not fear of the unknown. It was unknown fear a fear of the dissolution of my own self. Mm -hmm. So that fear did not come out of not knowing what is going to happen. That fear came out of knowing what is going to happen and not liking that well, potential. That I'm I, would, I wouldn't call it knowing what's going to happen. I would call it your imagination of what's going to happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's true. Um, then your, ima your imagination of what's going to happen again comes back to how people talk about death around you, right? Because your, ima your imagination is largely fostered by what you've seen, maybe yeah. in books, in yeah. movies, or from people's words, things yeah. like that. That is definitely true to some extent, but... There have also been times and experiences in my life where I, have, where I have felt kind of an internal source of information coming and delivering to me. The sense of what is going to happen when, I'm die, when I die. And that did not come from outside sources. That didn't come from other people. That came from within me. And... Some of that is true, I know, that it is going to happen. Regardless of whether or not I see is consciously existing, I know that all of the features, or I feel like <coughs> all of the particular features associated with my body and my mind or my personality are going to be dissolved. And so a lot of my identity and attachment is with this particular body and this particular mind. Mm -hmm. And so there is a fear of that dissolving. Um, but I have learned to take that fear less seriously now. I'm not so afraid of that. Well, the same energy which gives rise to this identity and attachment is the same thing that creates the fear of this going away. So it's kind of, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a little hard to describe, right. but if you start disinvesting or disidentifying from this attachment towards your body and your mind, then automatically, you start fearing less, further dissolution. Um, Just trying to understand you better. So, hmm. is the biggest fear you have towards life, I mean, towards death, comes from, or be coming from the fact that if you die, then there would be no meal in this world anymore. 
And it's going to yeah. be a whole vanish of like the whole identity you, you yeah. have right now. Is that the biggest fear? <laughs> it's very hard for me to articulate what that imagination is because that imagination is deeply logically flawed <laughs> at some point, you know. So I could say, yeah, I'm scared of there being no Neil in this world. But if there is no Neil in the world, then who will be scared? You know, <laughs> as long as I'm scared. I feel like we're going to a logic black hole right yeah. now. Yeah, like yes. if 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 I if if I'm scared of there being no Neil in the world, the only the only way that such a world can exist is in my imagination. It cannot exist in reality in my reality because in that. In that world that we're talking about, there is no Neil. So I cannot be in the world where there is no Neil because I am Neil. Okay? So there is this imagination in my mind of a world that has moved on and my stinking body lies in a grave somewhere. Okay. That imagination makes me anxious. But this whole phenomenon of imagining this world and it making, causing this anxiety only... is possible in a world where is there is right yeah. so it has this so when deep, there's no neil there's no world there is no neil there is no world and there is yes. no anxiety about being dead basically okay so you could logically phrase it in this way but the fear of death i think does not come from logic it is a very like illogical fear mm-hmm. and once again i think it is this kind of verbal parts of the mind that post facto describes and analyzes things that tries to make a kind of logical thing out of it but i think it's complete failure if you really logically dive into it there is no logical basis for the fear of death what what i can possibly say or describe or justify about the fear of death is what it really is is fear of the imagination of death and what i imagine Mm -hmm. death will be like and death is separation for me like the imagination that i have of death is this just complete darkness yeah and i'm just by myself there's nobody else and just ticking away time forever <coughs> that's miserable in my head but in order to be there and to experience that misery there has to be existence there has to be darkness and i have to be experiencing it and i have to know that i'm cut off from everyone else and i have to have all these mental faculties by which to be able to take in this experience and evaluate this experience to be a miserable experience and feel bad so many things have to happen in order for me to actually feel bad about the condition. And so... <laughs> like rationally, you, you don't think it's actually yeah, going to happen. Like, well, like yeah. you can't stop thinking about it yeah, for the I, sake of thinking about yeah, it. Yeah, I'm just saying that in order for my worst fears about death to come true, so many things have to happen that it can't possibly be death. Right. It is just this <laughs> altered experience in my head of afterlife. And just a miserable afterlife, you know? Yeah, yeah. So it might be that our deep-seated fears of death, or at least my deep-seated fear of death, is not really fear of death. What it is is a fear of separation, of loneliness, of boredom, um, masked as a fear of death, masked as a kind of suspicion that this is what is going to happen after I die. And I don't know where it comes from, where these intuitions and gut feelings come from. If you think about it, it's really kind of arbitrary that there are these biological beings just walking around in this planet with these kinds of notions, rather arbitrary notions of what happens after they die. Where did it come from? I mean, it didn't come from some like consistent gospel that is written across all human cultures and all whatever, where someone came up with this thing arbitrarily and just forced everyone to believe it. This fear of death seems to be a kind of rather conserved and unified thing across people who do have it. And a lot of the associated anxieties are kind of similar, like the feeling of separation, feeling of loneliness. And so I feel like in some ways we might be biologically wired to feel this kind of general anxiety. Oh, and yeah. Well, that makes sense from the natural selection point, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But yeah. I don't know. My fear, if there's any... Um, of death is quite a contrary from your perspective I would say like you were saying you are scared that if you die then there is not going to be there's no Neil in the in this world basically mm. but sometimes I wonder 
does it matter that there is a jacket in this world? You know, does it matter who I am? Or do I have to isolate myself from the rest of this world? Do I have to have a distinct identity? Mm. My fear of death relatively is more when Jackie dies or like when there's no Jackie, then there's no world. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not scared of like there's no me mm. existing in this world anymore. My 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 fear is probably more, you know, when I don't exist, then this whole world doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. So okay, so <clears throat> when I was saying that there are also these kind of sources of information that are internal that didn't come from other people. I'm referring to certain experiences that I had like in my early and mid-teens which had to do with just the ideas and visions of what I would what would happen when I die and it did not seem like I was imagining or coming up with them it felt like that those sources of information were just like being delivered to me through something that is deep inside me that I don't really understand very well it sounds like a very spiritual experience yeah but it wasn't positive I didn't see it as a spiritual experience. Okay. I saw it as a kind of a traumatic experience. Okay. And it sounds like you start doing psychedelics when you're like fourteen or something. No, it was like completely non-psychedelic. It was okay. yeah. Um. So the sense that I had then was not that I would stop existing, mm -hmm. but that these things would go away, like my nearness, my body, and my mind, and that I would return to the one source of consciousness. And then I would be shown of all my qualities as Neil. And that, not the, not the loss of life or the loss of consciousness, but the loss of Neil identity was scary to me. I, I wanted to keep holding on as being Neil Why forever. Why was being Neil so important to you? I don't know. I wasn't thinking about it. I w it, wasn't a, it wasn't a theoretical deduction. It was yeah. just this intuition that I, I needed to continue being Neil and it's what scary. If, you know, what if you, like, in your imagination, like, what would be a, the largest difference or the biggest difference if you're this tree right here or this lamp right here and you don't have the name Neil? Yeah. What, um, what would be so different about that? And why is that scary? Yeah, it's one of those things that are, it's not, like, verbal. It's just right. this kind it's of... It just makes you... It's just this primary attachment that I feel towards my life and mm -hmm. being me which you know at this point when you ask me these questions I will not even attempt to answer them because I have a better understanding that this sense of attachment towards nihilness yeah. is not something that I authored or manufactured or deduced and came up with it's just this, it's just there it's just there yeah it's just this attachment that arises and I feel it and I react according to it but I don't know who put it in place I don't know why I have this attachment and I will not attempt to justify or explain it in any way because I don't think it's my responsibility. That's so intriguing because I don't have much an attachment towards the identity of being Jackie. I think I have a much more attachment or a much more significant attachment towards life itself. Yeah. The experience I get from life. But whether I experience life through Jackie doesn't matter so much to me. I see. Yeah. Hmm. So, like, if you tell me, okay, Jackie, like, in five minutes, you're, you're going to become this tree right here, and you're going to stand in front of this house for the rest of your life. I mean, I think it's a big deal, You don't probably. think it's a big deal? Yeah, I think oh, it would be... Yeah, no, well, you know? I want to keep being Neil, dude. <laughs> <laughs> I want to put on my backpack and travel. Yeah. yeah, but see, what I'm doing right there is I'm imagining being the tree from the perspective of being Neil. It's exactly. like, I'm just Neil stuck in the exactly. tree and not being able to move yeah, anymore, like... which is the flawed, <laughs> which is the same flaw as imagining myself dead. Yeah, like a tree would have thousands of things that the tree enjoys, <laughs> Yeah, maybe. Or, or just doesn't have enough of a consciousness to get bored of its existence. <laughs> Like, if you imagine outfitting a tree with the full mental repertoire of a human being and just not letting them do anything, then stand, then it's going to be fucking boring, you know? And 
but that is not the that is not a rational way of thinking. That is, <laughs> it uh, is not. Yeah. Yeah. So like yeah, of course it's, it has to do with like flawed imagination. Um, yeah. Also, one thing that I was thinking about death before we go on to near death experiences oh, yeah. is so one time there was this concert by Foster the People. I don't know if you have heard of this band, but my roommate, one of my roommates then, his name was Guilherme. Well, I'm sorry to just mention this guy without his consent on this podcast. <laughs> and the next thing I'm going to tell you is that we we made some pot brownies before we went to this concert. Yeah. Okay, so it was this Brazilian dude and me. And at that time, I used to be more of an anxious person <laughs> than I am now. And so we, I cooked this pot brownies, and he had way more than me, by the way. And then we went to this Foster the People concert. And he was like this really chill, fun guy. Like, you know, Brazilian people. So <laughs> Shout out to Brazilian people. <laughs> yeah, shout out to Brazilian people out there. Yeah, so we go to this concert. And at some point soon, I start feeling really overwhelmingly high. And I guess Guilherme like disappears somewhere. I don't see it. And at first I have all this like crazy thoughts about, oh, everyone can tell that I'm high. And like they're like targeting me in some way. start being self-conscious. Yeah, self-conscious and stuff like that. And then I started thinking about the fear of death. Dude, this was a Foster the People concert. Like I wasn't not even being able to listen to the music. So I was starting to think about this fear of death. And I... I, I thought about it for a little bit. I was like, what is the fear of death? The fear of death is not identical to the fear of physical damage. If you look at animals, they will react instinctively to something that threatens their existence. Like if you throw hot water at a cat, they're going to like run away. Or, you know, if, if, you, if there's an animal like a deer that encounters a predator in the wild, they're going to start, they're going to run. And there is some measure of direct, immediate, present moment fear that they feel from situations or stimuli that threaten their body. And we do feel all of that. We touch a hot stove, our hands uh, withdraw immediately. We are out in the hot sun, we feel like bad. You know, if someone beats us, we we feel fear. If we see a lion out there in the wild... There are all of these ways in which there are self-preservation mechanisms that are very kind of in the moment. You start, you know, you know, you, you slip a little bit when you're on the climbing wall, you feel the fear of heights coming up. The fear of death is not just this. The fear of death is something that is kind of more abstract and general, a kind of so anxiety. It's, it's not only the biological layer. Yeah. So the biological stuff is, you know, there's not much you can do about yeah. it. It's just kind of hardwired. And it only kicks into gear when it is relevant. Mm -hmm. So when you're about to fall, the fear of falling kicks into gear. When you touch a hot stove, there's no even any fear. It's just a reaction of the body. And you look at lizards and animals and all kinds of stuff. They have this kind of thing baked in. Like you have this hardwired uh, mechanisms or collections of mechanisms that help them to survive. Okay. Somehow this is not sufficient for the humans. There's also this kind of notion, a kind of intellectual or abstract cognitive notion of the fear of death. We live in fear of death. Animals don't live in fear of death. Like even for an animal that is kind of dying, they are not like they are not like anxious about this kind of cognitive concept of death. Well, it's a bit hard to say whether mm. they're like truly free of this anxiety of being. Yeah, dead. to because some extent, it might be true. Exactly now. Yeah, so. but in some ways, like it feels like okay when there's no immediate biological danger to our body, to uh, not no immediate physical danger to our bi biological body. We're completely comfortable. We're in our house. The AC is set to just right, and there's a TV on in the next room, and I'm making a good paycheck. I'm sitting comfortably in this couch next to my spouse. Everything has been taken care of. There's food in the fridge. I can still sit and be anxious about my death. I think most animals don't do that. You know, there's like a more uh, kind of really, yeah, like a kind of more physical level of avoidance of death. 
But if all of those things are fulfilled, they don't sit like and think about death. And it comes from, I believe it comes from the human mind's capacity to reason and abstract thought and project things into the future and imagine and talk in well, language. But I also think about if you, if you phrase it that way, then the fear you have towards death yeah. is almost similar, if not the same, towards any fear you would have um, to any fear you would have towards, I don't know, like unknown things, you know, like you would also have fear to future because yeah. the future are unpredictable. Yeah. You would also have fear toward something that you can't control. Um, yeah. You know, it's just what I'm trying to say is I don't think death holds a very special position yeah. in our fear towards unknown things. It's just yeah. one of the thousand unknown things we sure. have towards our life. And all the the reason why or in my thoughts there's the reason why we're constantly thinking yeah. or scared of all those unknown things despite being materially comfortable and satisfied is because um we're trapped by our imaginations. <coughs> yeah, yeah. I agree with that. Yeah. But <clears throat> from my point of view the reason to fear anything that is unknown is is because you fear that that's going to be bad for me. That ultimately it's a fear of personal harm. Of like, it's this unknown thing is going to turn out to be something that either debilitates me or it damages me or it threatens me in some way. So that, that sensation is the same. Um... It's because in the unknown, there can possibly be a component that harms me. And in that imagination is that fear. It's the same imagination or the same fear in the imagination of, of death. And I think it comes, it's part of the package that humans get in this extra capacity to think and reason. Mm -hmm. You know, humans can imagine. Humans can have beliefs and ideas. And they can string together memories from the past in order to project imaginations about the future. This is why we learned how to sow crops because we saw the past patterns of day, night and seasons and we could sow our crops according to these patterns and expect that the rains will come at this time of the year and I'll get these crops. So no other creature than humans can do this so effectively to look at the patterns of the future, store these things in memory and do some pattern recognition and possibly project them into the future. And so in keeping with this capacity to plan and project also comes anxieties which right. are fears of possible outcomes that we do not want in the future and um, so death is this kind of like generalized abstract anxiety which in addition to the real the real time physical avoidances of death okay so what i'm saying is that humans in addition to having this very physical mechanisms to avoid death, like, oh, I'm going to shrink my hand away when I touch a stove, there are other ways also in which we can kind of plan and arrange and organize our lives in order to propagate ourselves for as long as possible. So, for example, I could be perfectly comfortable here and it's fall or it's summer or something like that and I really don't need to get out of the house, but I should in order to plant my crops because winter is going to be hard and I need to survive winter as well. And for some animals, this can be like hard-coded in, like the squirrel who goes and like buries his nuts in the ground, but he doesn't like sit and figure it out first. You know, humans have had to like cognitively figure it out. They don't have it in their instincts. So packaged with this kind of planning to propagate ourselves is also this anxiety aspect of the planning, which yeah. is this constant... Like what if the plan drive. fell through? Yeah, well, what if it doesn't work? What if, what if I don't plant my crops today? You have an imagination of what will happen when winter comes. Yeah. And, you know, it's just, it's just part of the whole package of being able to imagine. Just as you can imagine solutions in the future that other animals cannot, you can also imagine problems in the future that other animals cannot. So, yeah. Just as like, just, you know, momentary pain of touching that hot stove is all mindless. It's pre-verbal. There's no thought to it. Mm -hmm. So there is both a, a kind of 
a positive aspect to it and a negative aspect. The negative aspect is the immediate pain that you feel in your finger. The positive aspect is that that triggers you to move your hand away and not damage yourself. And both are the two sides of the same coin, which is the self-preservation. Self-preservation is ostensibly a positive thing, but it has to be managed by these negative things like pain. Otherwise, you're not going to do it. And when you move from this physical realm to the more cognitive or abstract realm, the positive aspect of it is being able to plan and imagine and build these cities and civilizations and economy and have health insurance and all kinds of stuff that allows us to live longer. But the negative aspect of that, which is analogous to the pain in your hand, is the anxiety. Yeah. And the anxiety, that pain exists in the imagined future. The solution also exists in the imagined future. So yeah. it's just kind of like the... The light and dark of the preverbal uh, pain in your finger, the analogy of that is the light and dark of the of the imagined world, and it's just just the, this analog, and this analog is this kind of abstract, generalized anxiety. But so to sum it up, I think we talked about, you know, the fear of death might be coming from, first of all, our imaginations mm-hmm. or socially constructed concepts it also might be coming from the whole package that comes with human intelligence and the ability of planning so we start to have this fear towards you know what if our plan fought fought through or what if things don't happen um as our as we expected yeah yeah and then i guess we also talk about how this fear of death is associated with your fear of losing identity yeah. or the fear of there would be no Neil existing yeah. in yeah. this world anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Losing the self. Losing the self. And there's a whole podcast that we can do about trying to explore what I mean by the self. Yeah. Because it's one of those intuitive things like the fear of death that just arises. I don't know. I feel like in a sense then my fear might be a little bit... Um, you know, associated with the fear of losing self, but not losing self in a sense of losing my identity, losing self in a sense of losing my experiences. Yeah. Yeah. Losing the possibility of experiencing much more things. Hmm. Yeah. I think that's eventually, if I have, if I have any fear towards death, that would be the, yeah, that would be the root cause. Yeah. Yeah. Not being able to, um, experience the things that I haven't experienced Mm -hmm. the losing of possibility yeah so what about near-death experiences I haven't actually had any near-death experiences but I think it would be fun to talk about them have you ever had any near-death experiences well no I okay College could be a near-death experience, <laughs> I guess, for, for most of the people. For some people? Yeah. No, I don't think I've had a near-death experience. There were times which I felt like I might die. Uh, like when you're on the dance floor in the poster of the people concert? <laughs> no. Uh, no, I wasn't feeling near-death then. But, well, so there was this one time when... There was a Thanksgiving party at my friend's house and I took way too many brownies. Yeah. And I felt like I'm, I might die. Or something like that. Like, you know, sometimes like when you get really too high and you're paranoid, that thought comes up in your head that or you start feeling like I might die. That has happened in a scattered couple of occasions. But the thing that I was describing where I was in my early and mid-teens and this feeling would come up, those, I would not call them near-death experiences, but it was like kind of experiencing or getting close to the experience of what it would be like when I die. And I believe that some of the, the aspects of what I felt was true. It's really true. It lines up with other people's experiences and stories and fables and religions and things like that. So you have never had a near-death experience, but you have you like read about it and... You yeah, I've I've read I've read something about near death experience, and um, I was watching this show on Netflix before. It's called The OA. Um, it's written by Britt Marley. The OA. The OA. Okay. Yeah, and it kind of talks about near death experience in that show, 
um, as well. So it was basically saying how in some people near-death ex uh, ex experience or exposure could open a gate to another dimension possibly. Mm. Yeah, so it's a, it's 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 a it's gonna be a whole like other episode if I need to describe that like what the show is about, but yeah, it's basically saying that if you've had a near death experience and that kind of distinguishes you from other people because you now have this possibility of you know having access to a whole new dimension that you don't know about when you're previously alive or when you didn't have that in your death experience. <coughs> let's go a little bit more into that. Like the, wanna, like the show? Yeah, let's talk about the show a little bit. So, well, what kind of dimension is being talked about here? It's a little bit hard to put into word, hmm. but I think in the show, how, you know, how it's being depicted in the scene is that this whole new dimension is kind of like a heavenly place. Hmm. Yeah. And then there's like this angel and like with actual wings or stuff like that. So I, I think it's an imagination of of a dimension that's like kind of like heaven ish yeah. place. Yeah. I see. Yeah. Okay, so have you heard about you probably heard about the psychedelic DMT? What's a DMT? Dimethyltryptamine? No. What's a psychedelic DMT? Uh, the name of the psychedelic is... Oh, right, right, right. So it's a, it's, a, it's a kind of psychedelic then. It's a kind of psychedelic. Yeah. DMT. Okay. So DMT, dimethyltryptamine, is a very potent psychedelic. Mm -hmm. If uh, I think there's a scale for the intensity of psychedelic experience, and DMT like is way off the charts when you compare it to something like LSD or something. One of the surprising things about DMT, I haven't done it myself, or at least I did it, didn't really work that one time. One of the surprising things about DMT experiences is that several people who take DMT report. They had near-death experience? Not a near-death experience, but they'll say that they found themselves in this other plane of being Ooh. where they experienced the presence of these elevated beings, which they call machine elves or something like that. But like these higher beings that are kind of like elves, but also machines that That's approach you. That's so interesting. Okay, keep going. They approach you and they try to communicate to you some deep and profound truth about the nature of reality. Were they able to... Uh explicit express what's the kind of truth that's no so they when they come back they say they said something to me they were this like they're usually this you know this this loving protective presence of a more supreme or a more advanced more intelligent being kind of like gods who come to you and they communicate to you through this plane and then they, they, they give you these profound truths. But when you come back online from a DMT trip, you struggle to remember what those truths were. Yeah. And, it, and it goes away. So it's more like what they remembered. It was a strong feeling of being enlightened. And they don't remember. Yeah. I don't exactly. exactly yeah, they, they, I don't exactly know if they would call it. I don't think they would call it a strong feeling of being enlightened themselves. Mm -hmm. But just that these beings were coming and giving you some kind of truth or wisdom okay. and trying to tell you things, to tell you to remember. Remember when you go back, like this is the truth, this is blah, blah. But you come back to this plane and you kind of forget. Okay, so the interesting thing, the additional information that is kind of interesting is that DMT is natively produced by the brain, by the human brain. So it's mm -hmm. one of the native kind of neurotransmitters in the brain. Not only that, when people die, the brain dumps a huge amount of DMT. That's so, so interesting. So people say that the DMT trip, it's a very kind of ego destruction trip where people will say that they will feel completely dissociated from their body and their self. And the whole experience is, is very non-dual 
and we'll come into it if we actually end up having this podcast about like my spiritual evolution what non-duality means but essentially in this particular context non-duality means that the separation between the self and the world is dissolved there is no separate jackie or there is no separate me um so so people say that dmt the dmt trip has similarities to near death experiences and it may not be a coincidence that when the brain is close to biological death it releases a bunch of dmt i was actually planning to read the book before and this book i don't know you've heard of the i forgot the name of the book but it was basically um telling a story of um how a woman who was experiencing episodes of depression decides to sit for um, a new kind of therapy and this kind of therapy this newest kind of therapy for depression is to put your brain into deep hypnosis mm. and kind of simulate a death experience for you to cure depression because a lot of times when people have suicidal thoughts mm. when they're experiencing uh, depression they really just want to die or they want to experience what death feels like so one of the solution that this therapy is giving you if you're experiencing those suicidal thoughts is they let you know what it truly feels to be dead or they simulate this feeling for you mm. or your brain yeah and i wonder if and i think at the end of the story the the the, the women who are uh, suffering from depression actually got cured by this therapy yeah i haven't read like the whole procedure or like yeah all of her story but I wonder if this result is also because, you know, when the brain is being deeply hypnosed, hypnotized, 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 oh my god, English is hard. Yeah, when the brain is in deep um, hypnosis and when, you know, the whole simulation is going on and trying to tell the brain it's, you know, you're dead, then there's a strong release of dmt <coughs> and maybe that's why the, the woman was feeling better yeah therapy in fact i have heard that um several psychedelics have been used as potential therapy for end-of-life trauma for let's say cancer patients mm-hmm. or other patients with terminal illnesses who um you know, suffering from this anxiety of their impending death, that it has been possible in the past, and I suppose there's still ongoing research of using different kinds of psychedelics like like DMT or mushrooms or maybe LSD in order to make them have these psychedelic trips as a result of which their fear of death subsides. Mm. And I, for one... I'm willing to testify, although it's a little hard for me to explain why this has happened, but having had psychedelic experiences is at least correlated with the fact that in that same time, my fear of death has reduced. Interesting. So, the, 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 the state of living in fear of death could be a, just like a mental state. And we may decide to ask no more questions about it than the fact that it's one of the possible mental states. And taking a psychedelic may move you away from that mental state into some other mental state and you see what it is like. And hopefully, once you come back to your sober life, you retain some of those qualities. And you can just say, you know, now now you basically live a little less in that mental state of death anxiety and a little more in the state of just just living and maybe one of the one of the ways of making that transformation possible is to really kind of simulate in some way what it would be like to death to die now when you do psychedelics you don't necessarily feel that you're dying you were talking about this deep brain hypnosis stuff which is specifically trying to maybe get you to experience what death would possibly be like but at least in some of the psychedelics even if they're not explicitly trying to 
put you through the experience of death, there are definitely elements of death. For example, there is the element of strong dissociation from your body, from your mind, from your sense of self. Like biologically, like they try to, I don't know, like simulate a kind of biological response for you to feel like, um, or that's like resembling yeah. what you might feel like when you feel like you're dying. Yeah, or at least the imagination of what it is like. You know, like I said earlier, what, when I say fear of death, what I really mean is this fear of dissolution or detachment from the different aspects of what I call the self. One of the aspects is the body, one aspect is the mind and my thoughts, and this sense of being localized in space and time and looking at the world from this point of view. And definitely in my psychedelic trips, those things have been disrupted a lot my sense of attachment or ownership of my body has been disrupted. We have been in a car together when I was like, I didn't tell you this, but I was like, wow, my body is dissolving. How am I going to drive home when my body is dissolving? So that has definitely happened. My sense of being localized in a particular point in space and time as an individual has definitely been disrupted. And all of those things, all of those different aspects of being an individual self have been disrupted but I haven't been dead any of those times in the sense that, well, I, I shouldn't say I was there within quotes, but there was conscious experience happening. And one of the things that was lacking I was see, a sense of the self. I see. So I think, well, not I think, but yeah. maybe the, the reason why you feel like your fear of death subsided a little bit mm. every time you do a psychedelic trip is because, you know, in your mind, you're kind of experiencing what might happen when you die. Yeah. And after knowing what that might feel like, you don't fear. Exactly. That so, much so when you have ne when you have never felt any of those things that are kind of associated with the fear of death, which is like the fear of the fear of losing ownership or attachment to your body or to your mind or the sense of localization in time and space, things like that then it all stays kind of tied up together uh, in this concept of death. But when you have these experiences, you see that you actually end up going through some of these feelings that are the different arms of the fear of death. And you survive all of them. Like, wow, I just did this trip where I had no sense of ownership of my body. And all of these things happened and was a kind of dissolution, yet that experience happened and it arose and it passed and here I am now and I survived it. Did you freak out the first time you feel like your body was dissolving or when you had a similar experience as what you, you imagined would have happened if you died? When it happened in your, as I was sitting in your in car, car, I freaked out. I freaked out because I felt like, wow, I've gone too far now. This is too much. This is too much. Like my body is dissolving in a way that like I just don't feel any ownership of the body. But it was also part, partially because I had a job to do. I felt like I had to drive us home. And I was like, well, how can I drive us home if my body is dissolving? <laughs> it's a much bigger problem than driving home. <laughs> but, you know, well, coming to think of it, it wasn't so much that the dissolution of the body was the problem in itself. It's the interpretation of it. It's because of all the things that I've learned and reinforced about myself that I need to have my body. And you, so when you need my to have control. Yeah, I need to have control. I need to have a feeling. I need to know that my body is here and that I'm in my body. Yeah. So when the body was dissolving, that feeling in itself was not unpleasant. But the but the my, my thoughts associated with it or my reaction to it was very unpleasant. Yeah. I see. So like the fact of what you're experiencing, what, what or what you were experiencing, yeah, was kind of like violating the typical, you know, expectations you would have um, to your body or to what other people have told you about, oh, you should have ownership like, of your body. Yeah, it's yeah. the part that freaks you out. Yeah. Otherwise, you might also be like, oh my God, this is wonderful. <laughs> like exactly. My body is yeah. dissolving. Yeah. 
Like if Such I had the right guidance and advice and I was yeah. just like lying on my couch, I didn't have anything to do. Yeah. And someone came and said, right now a wonderful experience is going to happen to you. Mm-hmm. You're going to transcend your body and blah, blah. It's going to be very positive. And if I had that attitude towards it, it may be like the greatest thing ever. In fact, last night when you were driving me home, as I closed my eyes, I started feeling very deep, depersonalized from my body. But it was a lot more relaxing. And then I was like, well... I know better now. Than because I, I was driving. Because you were driving. I was like, it's completely fine. Like, I closed my eyes. And, you know, it felt like I was kind of flying through the ether. Um, with the music and everything. And I could definitely tell that more and more was just going away. I was like, my sense of being in space and time is going away. Because I close my eyes. I don't see this visual feedback from my body. And I'm not moving my body. And at some point, there was this voice in my head, like, oh, 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 too much. You're losing, you're losing yourself. You're losing yourself. I was like, it's all right. Just not a big deal. Go. Yeah. So I tried a little bit more deliberately to not resist that. And I think that is kind of in common with this anxiety that we feel about death. It's not so much the death itself or whatever is associated with it. It's our resistance to it that creates yeah. uh, like this big big kind of anxiety right. yeah yeah so just as what i mentioned before i think a, a better society that i envision or a society that has a better attitude towards death is one that embrace the fact that we're gonna die one day yeah just embrace the possibility of that you know where like whereas i think in a lot in a lot of the cultures people are still kind of in denial of yeah. the possibility of death yeah so Yeah, and it's it's so funny to hear all the stories of like how I don't know. I feel like Trump might be seeking <coughs> for some kind of drug that might mm-hmm. you know prolong his lifespan. Yeah. Or we should put some of this ayahuasca DMT in his in his drink. Yeah. <laughs> so he will have the exact opposite of the experience that he wants to see, and he'll realize that this is this is what I really want. I just want to die actually. that way maybe we're saving america like indirectly yeah well yeah yeah. i mean i see trump as being a kind of almost like a human personification of the ego Mm -hmm. and what the ego wants the last thing that the ego wants is to die and um, but that energy of trying to avoid death and to prolong or project oneself in many different ways to want to live longer to to have a lot of different things and stuff like that in some ways that actually reinforces all of these fears of yeah. death like the strong ego also suffers from strong insecurities there's so many things that are kind of paradoxical about life the crude way of trying to further yourself or further your ego and protect it also makes it more fragile thank you for joining Jackie and me today in the room of lives In the next, final part of our conversation, we will talk about beauty and love.